Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be starting from this morning. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll jump into this word. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you so much, Lord God. The power of your Holy Spirit, Father, and that's what we call on this morning, Father. We need to receive this message, Father, through the anointing of your Spirit. Anoint us to hear. Anoint me to speak. I pray, Father, that, Lord, your word would go forth exactly as you would have it. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, folks, this morning, uh, as we move towards our February 2nd kind of unveiling, if you would, of what God has been placing in our hearts over these last many months, um, I just want to kind of share with you where I'm at. And hopefully through where I'm at, you'll get a picture perhaps where we're going. I have begun to make this statement kind of a mantra for me. I want to be a world changer. I want to be a world changer. I believe with all my soul, my heart, my mind, my whole being, I believe that's why God put me on this earth is to be a world changer. I really believe that. You got, well, who are you? I believe that's why he put you on this earth too. See, I believe that God specifically designed each one of us in this room to be a world changer. I just, I believe that. And now this morning, I kind of want to I want to kind of tell you where my heart is whenever I say I want to be a world changer. It's kind of like this with me. I, I indeed want to change the world, but more than that, I want to change people's worlds. Because I will tell you 100%, absolutely for sure, somebody changed my world a few years back. Because I can look at my own life now and I can think to myself where I would be if it weren't for Jesus Christ in my life. Somebody changed my world. Somebody began to pray for me. Somebody witnessed to me. And my world was changed because of it. And I'm just going to tell you, this morning I stand before you. And I I have a desire to see some worlds changed. I've got kids that I minister to every Wednesday night that I'm praying so desperately. And I'm believing God fervently so that He will change their lives. Because I will tell you, there is no way these kids are going to make it unless Jesus Christ gets a hold of their lives. Every day whenever I'm at this church, whenever I walk past that banner in the foyer, it says Jesus changes everything. Man, I'm saying, God, that is what has to happen in these kids' lives. I want God to change them because I'm telling you, this this that is in them right now, that is steering them the wrong direction, I'm telling you, it's deep-seated in them. It's generational. It's not only been there from their lives, but their parents' lives, and sometimes their grandparents' lives, and sometimes their great-grandparents' lives. In other words, what I'm saying to you is, Satan has them gut-hooked. Anybody besides me know what that means? Satan has them gut hooked. It's not just some little jaw hook, but I'm telling you, it's gone deep in them. And so my prayer is that God, I, I want to be in the midst of your will so that I can be a world changer. I want to change these kids' worlds. Every once in a while, I'll be very honest with you, it's discouraging to preach on Wednesday nights over there. Because I preach and I minister and I, I talk to them, I love on these kids and, and you see just hardly any change whatsoever. I mean, they come back the next week and sometimes they're worse than the week before. And you go, my goodness, what am I doing? Why am I even here? I could go somewhere else and have a whole lot better life. 
But every once in a while, in the midst of that discouragement, I'm on my knees before God, and I'm saying, God, you got to change these kids' lives, God. There's something has to happen. It's not through might. It's not through power. It's not through any education or experience that mankind has. But it has to be a spiritual work in their lives. You see, I'm on my knees before God, and I'm crying out for these kids and and it wasn't too long ago that God literally opened a window and gave me a look at what these kids are going to become. And I'm just going to just share this with you. One of the students that's in our youth ministry that I look at and I'm going, man, there's just there's just no way outside of Jesus. There's just no way outside of Jesus. The Lord just opened my eyes and literally showed me this student dancing with their whole might before the Lord. Both hands upraised, coming down that aisle right there in this sanctuary and coming into this area right here at the altars, praising God with all that was within them. And all I could do was just a ball because I said, God... That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for. That's what that's why I'm here and that's why I'm trying my best, God. But without you, it's impossible. You see, I want that young person to grow up and and to marry a fine, upstanding, godly individual, you know, and have them raise their kids. You know, one of the greatest pleasures in my life would be able to celebrate their wedding with me officiating it. And then maybe one day stand on this platform and hold their child in my hands and dedicate them to Jesus Christ and know that those things in their lives have been broken by the power of Jesus. I want to change the world, but I want to do it one life at a time. I want to change the world. That's where we're going, folks. This church is going to become world changers. And we're going to change folks one life at a time through the power of Jesus Christ. I don't know about y'all last night, but we had a little storm that blew through our house. I asked somebody this morning if they got rain last night and they said yes. And I said, well, I didn't get a drop. (laughs) I got a bucket load. It was just like somebody stood above my house and poured out the bucket. And about six o'clock last night, everything was all well and fine at my house. And then the power just went out. And to my knowledge, it's probably still out. I found out in the midst of that power outage how important light is. You know, I have this really nifty little lantern that you can turn on. It's battery powered, illuminates the whole room. But one of my children borrowed it. I think I know who the guilty party is. I went into his bedroom and looked around, but I couldn't find it. So who knows? He may have taken it with him to college. Light's important. Light does so many amazing things. And so that's really 
where we're at this morning. Matthew chapter 5, just three verses, 14, 15, and 16. Many of you are very familiar with this passage of Scripture, but this morning I believe there's some things that the Holy Spirit wants us to learn. This is what it says in verse number 14, Matthew chapter 5. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote as a boy... He was looking out the window and watching a workman come by and light the gas lights along the street. And whenever asked what he was watching, the young boy said, I see a man making holes in the darkness. In John chapter 9, verse number 5, this is what Jesus said, And long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But Jesus couldn't stay here, so he was appointed he, he appointed us to be the light of the world. He said, I'm going. He's not going to come back for a while. And so while he's gone in his absence, we are the light. He was the light. Now we are the light. And the title of this message is, you are the light of the world. You are the light. And I'll be very honest with you. Whenever you read that sentence, one of the things you're understanding in it is that Jesus is basically commanding us to be the light of the world. He said, you are. You are the light of the world. It's just like if you're giving your child a a directive, he said, you empty the garbage. You are the light of the world. So there's this command that comes with this. And it's not something that you and I can look at and say, well, I'll take it or leave it. You have to understand this is a command. He's saying, you are the light. You're the light. I was the light. Now I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now you're the light. Of the world. And I'll be very honest with you, folks. The world is never going to get changed unless they see the light of Jesus Christ on this planet. It's never going to get changed. The lives of these young people that we prayed for and we believed for and we, and we minister to on a weekly basis, the lives, they're never going to change without being exposed to the light of Jesus Christ. The reason that anyone in this room is, is saved and, and on your way to heaven is because at one time or another, you saw the light. Amen. So let's look at a couple of things about light. First of all, as I experienced last night, I had to shine a light to guide myself around the house. Because I'm going to tell you something, that house was really dark with no electricity flowing through it. Light is a real common metaphor that you see a lot of times in the Bible. Along with darkness, another metaphor, light is is very often used to contrast knowledge versus ignorance. So in other words, if you're in the light, you've got knowledge. But if you're in the darkness, you're you're still ignorant. Are you all there with me? And so we know that that a lot of times the explorers would find tribes that had never been uh, exposed to Western culture and so on and so forth. And they would say that they are still in the dark. They're still in the dark. In fact, there was a whole period of time that they that they call the dark ages. Amen. But now to you and I, we've been enlightened. Amen. Some of you uh, have not signed up for realm and you're going to get an invitation here before very long. And we're going to hope you come into the light. Because there's a lot of things on a weekly basis that we need to be saying to you. 
And we're going to believe that realm is going to help lighten up your life. Amen? You know what's really bad? It's whenever people show up on Sunday mornings and we're having a fellowship that morning and they go, oh man, I didn't even know we were having a fellowship. And you know what even makes it worse than that? Whenever they're the pastor's kids. Yeah. It's happened. So here's this contrast between having knowledge and being ignorant. So here in Matthew chapter 5, I believe what it signifies is almost certainly it stands for the world's opportunity to basically see Jesus. In other words, it's the world's opportunity to come and to perceive the truth about Jesus Christ. So, in other words, whenever we walk out of this place and we are the light of the light of Jesus Christ to this world, then what we understand by that is that that we are illuminating people's lives so that they might perceive the truth of Jesus Christ. Other world, otherwise, they walk in the dark. The world is today in the dark, and it's in the dark about God. But Christians have the ability to turn on the light. This morning I went out to the garage and the very first thing I did whenever I walked in my garage was I reached over and I flipped the two switches on the wall to illuminate my garage. And guess what? Okay, you guessed. You guessed. You see, what happens with us as individuals, uh, as, as Christians, we have the ability to flip on that light switch. Light allows people to see, and we can't see without light. Christians show the world how much God loves them and what Jesus has done to restore their relationship between Him, uh, between them and God. Light is there to guide us. Light illuminates the way. And, I mean, how many of you in this room really like to be conspicuous? Okay, three hands went up. That's all right. My wife loves to be a behind-the-scenes person. She does not getting her on a platform with a microphone that just goes against every fiber of who she is. But this is the amazing thing about this scripture this morning, as we read in Matthew five, is whenever we read this scripture, you have to understand God says that you and I were meant to be conspicuous. Not so much anymore, but. You know, there was a time whenever I'd go into a store or something and I'd see somebody with like, you know, purple hair spiked up, you know, three feet high above their head. I mean, I would go, what in the world happened to your hair? You know, I think sometimes people do that so as they will be conspicuous. Amen. As Christians, you and I should have a heartbeat that no matter where we go, we should be conspicuous to others. The Bible says here, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, whenever we go out in our community, whenever we go to our relatives, whenever we go to our friends or our neighbors, you and I need to be someone who is conspicuously shining the light of Jesus Christ. I heard a story not very long ago that someone had worked next to an individual in their company for many years, better than 10 years. And they found out that through the whole course of that 10 years, that the individual that they had worked with all of these days, all of these days, 
was a Christian, had been serving Jesus for all of those 10 years. And this guy, his confession was me. He said, I didn't even know he was a Christian. I had no idea. He really never did anything that would tell me he wasn't a Christian, but I had no idea he was a Christian. I'm saying to you, man, that should never happen. Everybody you work with ought to know you are a Christian. Everybody you shop with ought to know you're a Christian. They ought to know you're a Christian in Ingalls. They ought to know you're a Christian at Walmart. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Other people's eyes are to be upon us. You see, a light bulb has no other purpose but to illuminate. No other purpose but to illuminate. Nor do we. That is our purpose. God wants to take obscure men and women. He wants to dignify them with his character and with his spirit. And then basically he wants to put them on display. Are you all there with me? That's what he wants to do. Lights are used to mark streets. Lights are used to uh, mark landing strips for airplanes. Ports have, have these lights that are on these channel markers. All of these lights show the way to a desired destination. In the same way, you and I as Christians are to mark the way to Jesus. That's it. We're the light of the world. We're showing people the way. Not only are we the light of the world showing people away, but folks, there is a moral obligation inside of each one of us to lead like Jesus has called us to live. In other words, if you don't believe in abortion, people need to know that. Come on. If you believe that homosexuality is wrong, people need to know that. Come on. Somebody asked me not very long ago, said, would you go to a same-sex marriage if you were invited to it? I said, no, because I don't believe same-sex marriage is even a marriage. And I'm not going to go support something that I don't even believe in. Come on. I'm just saying, I know that's not political, politically correct, but folks, Christians need to take the moral lead. You and I need to set an example. I mean, folks, if there's a group of people and they're all huddled up, you know, and, and all of a sudden one of them says, hey, let's go do this dastardly deed. You fill in the blank there, whatever that deed might be. And folks, I can tell you whenever I was in high school, that happened very regularly with me. Almost every weekend we were looking for something to do and most often it wasn't good. Amen? And see, if there had just been one person in that group that basically says, uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's a good thing to do. For, for one thing, it's a felony. Mm-hmm. Y'all understand what I'm saying? But there wasn't anybody in our group that did that. Everybody go, yeah, let's do it. We're stupid. And we'd go do it. We'd go do it. You see, but if there was just one person that says, I- I'm not going to be a part of that. I really believe that there would have might been maybe somebody else that might have said, you know, that's probably right. I don't really think I want a felony on my, my charge. Are you all there? See, you and I, as, as literally leaders morally, you and I need to shine the light. We need to say that, 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 you know, we have the moral strength to stand up to something that is not right according to the Word of God. We have to be moral leaders. That's what people have to see inside of us. And I believe this. I believe that it is a Christian's duty to take a stand. 
If it's politically incorrect, I really don't care. Because I'll tell you something. Political incorrectness is going to pass away. But this word will never pass away. Amen? So I'm going to bank on something that's never going to pass away. We've got to take the moral lead. Even dim lights stand out. I heard a story not very long ago that just really ministered to me. Young lady's driving down the interstate. She's full of drugs and her life has just been horrible. And it's been just incredibly, incredibly, incredibly horrible. She's got a toddler in the back seat that she's feeding chocolate to just so she can keep him quiet so that she can have her drugs and do all the various things that she can do. She said she knew she got caught going down the interstate that was full of car was full of all kinds of drugs and paraphernalia and she'd be violating her parole and it was just awful but her mother somehow another years ago had got a number into her hand of a christian counselor and so at two o'clock in the morning she had just about come to her wits end she stopped and she called that christian counselor's number two o'clock in the morning she said the phone was picked up and on the other side of it was a man and she could tell that he was kind of shifting around trying to maybe sit up in bed and she spoke to him and she said my mother gave you uh, or gave me your number and this is who I am, and this is what I'm going through, and I just really wanted to know if you had time to talk. And the man said, i got time to talk. And so he began to listen, and he began to ask her questions, you know, well, tell me a little bit more. And in that night of conversation, she began to just bare her soul to him, and for the very first time, she admitted that she is addicted to drugs, and for the very first time, she admitted that if she doesn't make some changes, that her son literally is not going to be in her custody any longer. And so this man was just incredible, and all night long, he spoke to her, and and uh, all night long, he listened to her, and at the end of the conversation, or the, as the morning, literally, they spoke all all the way through the night, she says, you know, you, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to read some scriptures now? You know, how, what, what, you know, what do I need to do after this phone call? She said, I just feel so much better in talking to you. And, and, uh, the man kind of, you know, kind of laughed whenever she said, do you want me to read scriptures? And a few minutes later, she brought it back around cause he didn't suggest any scriptures to read. Do you want me to read some scriptures? And he says, well, he said, I'm going to tell you something right now, but I don't want you to hang up. Okay. Okay, I won't hang up. He said, you know, whenever you dialed that number last night, you dialed the wrong number. And so here's a man that spent all night long listening to her. And at the point of this testimony, she said, I still don't know who he was. I don't know where he was at. But she said, you know, whenever you're in a hole as deep and as dark as I am, This was the words that just struck me to the core of who I am. She said, even a pinhole brings a lot of light in. And thankfully, at the airing of this testimony, she had raised her son. He had graduated with honors from an Ivy League school, and she had got her life together, and her life was completely changed. Even a dim light stands out you see because this world that you and i live in this world of darkness we are the ones who shine the light that you and i have found that jesus gave us so jesus's point as he gives us the scripture is that 
we aren't just to shine our lights in our own little circle of influence, but we're to shine them so that every place of darkness is brought into the light. You see, we don't put it under a bowl. We set it up high on a lampstand so that it illuminates everything. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without arguing. This is what it says in Philippians 2. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. That's who we need to be. We need to be people who shine like stars in the universe to this world that is in so much darkness. Because I believe that our light is the only light, the only hope that our world has. Our government cannot fix this problem. The amount of money that is on this planet, cumulative total, cannot fix this problem that we have. It is the light of Jesus Christ that will be the answer to the world's problems. G. Campbell Morgan said, The church did the, most, the, did the most for the world when the church was the least like the world. I believe there's a lot of churches today that have the idea that they've got to imitate the world in order to reach the world. And I would tell you, that's not the way it is. We have to be different. Whenever the world encounters us, whether it be as individuals, as families, or a body of believers, we have to be different. You see, a nation is not going to decay and collapse because of the people that are out there peddling pornography or selling drugs on the street. You see, I believe that a nation is going to fall into decay and ultimately collapse because Christians that are no longer salt and light. That's what I believe. I believe this world would be a whole lot different if Christians would stand up and be Christians. I'll tell you, your neighborhood would be different. Your family would be different. This world, folks, sinners are going to act like sinners. There's no question about that. As a pastor, I've had many encounters with people whenever they've let out a few cuss words and they go, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry I forgot you were here. You know, I just tell them, you're okay, you know, you want to cuss, take off, you know. I don't get offended by that because, you know, this is what I know. My dog acts like a dog. Not comparing sinners with dogs, okay, don't, don't go there. My dog, if, if I came home today and she's sitting out in the front yard figuring my taxes, I'm going to go, hey, that is weird, okay. She got a little hat on and she's sitting there with a the calculator typing out, not 10 key, I'm going to go, that, that's weird. But my dog is probably going to come running up to the car, and whenever I open the door, she's going to jump up on the, the little running board there, and she's going to stick her head right up in my lap because she wants me to pet her before I even get out of the car. That's what my dog does. My dog is going to bark at raccoons and possums and deer in the yard. She's just going to do that because that's a dog. And sinners are going to be sinners, and they're going to act like sinners. And so what you and I need to do is, is we need to be saints. And we need to be acting like saints, not sinners. Because I'll be honest with you, whenever we act like sinners, that compromise 
It hurts not only ourselves, but it hurts our families. It hurts our church. And I believe it contributes to the decay of a nation. Many years ago, I had the opportunity of seeing a, a video that was a baptismal service. And, uh, and it was uh, testimonies. As young people were getting into the baptismal tank, they were you know, basically saying, you know, I'm in love with Jesus and this is kind of where I'm coming from. And this young lady got in the baptismal tank and she just began to weep, just uncontrollably, just weep. They just, I mean, they couldn't do anything with her. And, and whenever she finally got herself composed enough to take the microphone and begin to speak, she, says, she said, I thought I was a Christian. She said, I came to church and I, I did all the things in the church that you're supposed to do. But then on the weekends, I would go out and I'd party and I'd have sex outside of marriage and I would drink and I would take drugs. And, and she said, all the time, she said, I'm telling everybody in my group that I'm a Christian. And she said, oh, how I damaged what Christians are supposed to be. And she said, that's what I repented of. And she was right with Jesus. But you have to understand Our lights have to illuminate the way. The second purpose of light is this. It has to shine to warn. And this one's tough. Lights are often used on emergency vehicles to to warn us. I can remember years ago, whenever somebody would break down, we used to have what they call few, uh, 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 flares that you'd light on the road and put them out. And so whenever you seen them, you knew that something was dangerous up, uh, up ahead of you. And I used to love to play with those things. They were so awesome. Police cars, wreckers, fire trucks, ambulances, they're covered from head to toe with warning lights. If you're driving around in our community, one of these uh, towers is way up high in the air. What does it have at the very top of it? It's got a light that's blinking. And what does that do? It tells airplane pilots or whatever, don't uh, UFOs, even warn them. It says, hey, don't fly this low because there's a tower here. And you could, you could, I'm joking about the UFOs. Some of you are over there. See, he believes too. Uh, no, I don't really. UFOs, uh, I think there's unidentified people running around, but they're called angels. But anyway... There's all of these these lights that warn. And we are Christians. And we're supposed to be warning lights to unbelievers. And this is it. We are to speak the truth to them. Listen. In love. In love. But it is yet a Christian's duty to warn those that are around us. And it's hard to do. I'm telling you, it's hard to do. It's hard to do in a way which doesn't do more harm than good. Are you all there with me? Because you can't just walk up to somebody and say, man, we don't have homosexuals at our church. We don't have, we don't have uh, backsliders at our church. Are you all there with me? I mean, we got to love people, but we still have to tell those people the truth. If they're in sin, we have to give them a warning. I can remember a guy named Keith Elder. He was a big old bear of a man. I mean, honestly, he's one of the biggest men i ever seen. Whenever he was about 21, 22 years old, he started growing again, literally. I mean, he started growing. Before the doctors could figure out who, I mean, what was causing him to grow, the guy grew to like six foot eight. He's a monster. His hands were three times my size. He was just, Joyce, you know who I'm talking about. He was our DYD in Montana. And this guy, I mean, he just towered over kids. He was the, he was the, the, the camp director over all of our youth camps. And if you know anything about youth camps, you know there's a lot of youths that their brains fell out on the ride to camp. 
somewhere in the van. They'll be vacuumed up later. But man, these kids would act wild and they would bring them to Keith, a pastor Keith. They'd bring them and they were in trouble. You know, they're standing there with their heads hanging down because they did something. And you know, brother Keith would grab those kids. This ginormous man would just grab them. A lot of times it was two because most of the time there was two of them in trouble at the same time. And he'd just bring them to himself, man. I'm going to tell you something, boys. I love you. Pastor Keith loves you. And I mean, man, you know, they're all squished up in him. The guy used to eat like a gallon of cashews every day. He was just a ginormous guy. They didn't argue with him, that's for sure. And then he'd push them away from him. And he'd go, now I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have to start acting right at this camp. You understand me? I love you. I love you. But you're going to have to start acting right. What you're doing is wrong. And you know the amazing thing about it is Keith Elder had so much respect from those kids because he first loved them. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians today. We don't love them. We just want to correct them. And I'll tell you, if you will fall in love with them, they will heed your correction. Some of the kids in children's ministry that I was the hardest on and I was constantly correcting them. I mean, constantly on them. Just taking them out in the hallway and saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm just, that's the only answer I have. I just got to put you out of your misery. The amazing thing it is, those kids are still the closest to me of anybody I ever had in children's ministry. I've had calls and uh, uh, letters written to me about kids that, do you remember the time you took me out in the hallway and you threatened to kill me? Yeah, yeah, I do. I wanted to kill you. It was more than a threat. We've got to warn them. This is what it says in Leviticus 19. It says, rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. That's what it says in Proverbs 27. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. It's Proverbs 28. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. This is Revelation 3.19. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. We are told not only to put our light, we, we are told not to put our light under a bowl, not to conceal our light. We are Christians and such, we have to communicate those things. That is light. Light exposes things that are hidden in darkness. Last night as I was wandering around my house in the dark and even this morning, I have this real bright flashlight that I was shining around and I shined it in places I shouldn't shine it. Because now I know i got to go home and clean that place. Because in the dark, it looked really good. You know, understand what I'm saying? I mean, I shined it up towards the ceiling. and go, oh, no, I wish I hadn't have seen that. So now if any of you all are good at dusting, I'm just going to power wash it. Never mind. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, My friends, we beg you to warn anyone who isn't living right. There is a danger in insufficient warning. I read a story one time about a man who was driving down a Pennsylvania highway. It was a high-speed highway, 55, I guess. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he came up on an Amish buggy, horse-drawn buggy, part on the road, part off the road, had one little bitty lantern on the, on the front side of it that was illuminating its way, but there was nothing on the back side of it. And these buggies were black. He said it was everything he could do 
to turn and miss that buggy and those horses and those, and those passengers. This is what he concluded. These Amish drivers that have never driven an automobile before, they don't understand the danger there is in those high-speed vehicles. See, many around us just don't realize how dangerous their lives are the way they're living them. The last thing here is that we got to shine to glorify God. Shine to glorify God. It's not only our words that should teach the gospel, but it's our actions as well. Francis Assisi said this, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I mean, our lives should be a witness, witness by our works. This is the point that he made, that it should not be our our words only that preach the gospel, but our actions that go along with those words. In other words, uh, I believe talk is cheap. Amen. And I believe that the world, I, this is what I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you this right now. I believe the world is fed up to here with the rhetoric of the church. Amen. Have you all ever turned on the news just recently and just heard the same old, same old, same old, same old, and you just go, I am sick to death of that. Well, you don't do it like that anymore, do you? You just go, you mash that button. How many of you mash buttons? Good. Thank you, Daryl. Some of y'all go, no, I press my buttons. I mash them, okay? I just think that I think the world is just sick to death of the rhetoric of the church because I think sometimes the church says one thing and does the other, amen? It's just that same old thing out there. And I believe that, that you and I and this church needs to be a, a church and a people that is about good deeds. Talk is cheap. And I believe that you and I can convince people of the reality of Jesus Christ by our good deeds. That's what Jesus said. They will know you because of your good deeds. And they will glorify your Father because of your good deeds. Good deeds means that you just do the right thing. You just do the right thing. This is kind of one of the things I've came upon in the last many years is you can never go wrong by doing what's right. Amen? It may seem like it may be wrong at the moment, but if you did something right, it will ultimately come back around to you and you will understand that doing right can never, never, never make it wrong. Exemplary actions. To lost people would mean doing that sacrificial thing. It means preferring others above yourself. It's like this. If both of you are trying to get in a parking spot in Ingalls, right up next to the front. You know, they got a sign there that says, Parents with Children. And I go, I got four kids. And so I park there every time I go. I have kids. I mean, isn't that what the sign says? This is parents with children. So whenever Kayla was working there, he said, no, Dad, it doesn't mean that you have children. It means you got children with you. So the other day I went to the store and I had Caleb in the car with me. I parked right there. I said, hey, you're with me. I'm a child. I'm joking. I really don't park there, but I want to. I want to park in the closest parking spot to the front. Some of y'all are looking, I don't. I want to park as far away as I can possibly get. Well, then go to Silva and park. I don't care. 
you know, whenever you're jockeying for that spot, you know, and you see somebody there out of the corner of your eye, but you're not going to look at them directly because you know if you did that, you'd have to give way to them. But you're pretending like they're not even there. You know what I'm saying? And you got your blinker on. And you casually look across there and you go, oh, man, she must be in her 80s. Oh, that's my parking spot. I got here first. I don't care if she is in her 80s. You see, always preferring somebody else before yourself. That's sacrificial thing. That's what good deeds are. That's allowing them to have that parking spot. It's waiting. It's waiting. And, you know, it's like this construction that's going on on 441. You know, when you drive up there and you got this long line and you've been waiting in line so that you can turn and go towards Silva and you finally get there and there's somebody coming out of Wendy's parking lot or there's somebody coming out of the, uh, 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 uh the, uh, Arby's parking lot or coming out of the factory parking lot and they're waiting there. They got their blinker on and, you know, they're looking at you like, come on, let me in. And I go, up your nose with a rubber hose. I ain't letting you in. I get as close to the bumper in front of me as I can possibly get. Some of you are going, I hate that guy. One, a, one AG pastor I know says, you can really tell how, Christians, how, how Christian someone is by their driving. Yes, amen. There should have been an amen right there. We, we gotta be somebody that prefers other people above ourselves. We gotta be a giver, not a taker. If you see somebody in need, help them. Amen? Help them. Stop and help them. Say, man, what, what can I help you with? And that doesn't mean that you, you know, you're, you fall uh, victim to schemes and things like that. But folks, there are people all over the place that have need. And I'll tell you that, you know, this is just my own confession, but the other day I was coming out of Walmart. We had a little bit of groceries going along and this lady was parked kind of away with her buggy from her car. And, you know, she was, you know, she was way up there in years and she was unloading her bags and having to carry them, you know, like from here to that wall to the back of her car. And whenever I walked by, I thought, you know, I should offer to help her carry her bags. And then I said, nah, and I just went on. Our actions should speak volumes. Amen? We need to be servers. Servers. We need to be people who carry the white towel, members of the white towel on our arms, and we just need to walk up to people and say, how can I serve you? How can I take care of you? How can I make your life better? That's what the light is. Because genuine Deeds will glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus' admonition to us was, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father that is in heaven. Jared, if you'll come and help me close this this morning. Folks, whenever you and I do good works, whenever you and I do good works, we should always be quick to point out who is the author of that good work that you're performing. Amen? Don't give credit to your church. Don't give credit to your spouse. But give credit to Jesus Christ.